as to the fact that the world as we see it is getting darker and darker spiritually. And I think a lot of times it has to do with those of us who are saved giving the gospel message as we have been commanded to do. This year I want our church to focus on how we can take a stand for what we believe, for being able to understand how we are to contend for the faith. As you can see on our banner up here, again, that's the idea of contending for the faith. And uh, we'll be looking at that this morning, get a better understanding of what that entails and what we are to do. Again, I hope it's a reminder for each one of us as we come into the auditorium, each time we look up at that banner, we can understand, what am I to do as a believer? I am to contend for the faith. I am to continue to stand for what is right and what the Bible teaches. So again, as we uh, take time to look here in the book of Jude, uh, we come to this big book. It's one chapter. There's not a whole lot of verses in here. And to be honest, I can't think back of very many preachers that have preached messages from the book of Jude. I don't know if you know very many, but uh, I've had people ask, well, what is Jude about? What's in the book of Jude? And, and this, that, and the other. And uh, I, quite honestly, as you look through it, those simple 25 verses uh, doesn't seem to be like a whole lot there. But honestly, as we take time to go through this, you'll see there's a variety of things that we can hopefully learn from it. Uh, I want to get some ideas of, of the warnings that have been given. There's a lot of warnings throughout the book of Jude that we are, should be looking at and understanding as well. And then how to apply those things in our lives. So this morning, let's begin here in Jude. I was going to say chapter 1. <laughs> verse number 1. So Jude 1 says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are, the, that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Behold, I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who are before of old ordained to the condemnation ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning as we look at these first four verses there's some things that I want us to look at as we learn how to contend for the faith. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get into the message. Lord, Lord again we do thank you for... Uh, this small account that you've given us here in the book of Jude, the warnings that you have written for us that we need to, uh, again, to take to heart, to look at, to understand, and Lord, uh, most of all, apply to our lives. Lord, help us to see the warnings that you have brought for us to look at. I pray, Lord, that you would help us this year as we look forward to 2024. Help us to contend for the faith, to stand up for what we believe, to, to make sure we understand the Word of God, and Lord, that we are to take a stand for what you've given us. Lord, I do love you. I thank you for those that have given up their time this morning to be here. And Lord, help us to focus on what it is we need to learn. Direct us and guide us today. And we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we get in the message and analyze this book, you can ask yourself, what does it mean to contend for the faith? I'm sure we can come up with different ideas, different thoughts of what that would mean maybe to us or in our situation but the word contend is a Greek word that is used to describe an athlete. This is where we get the word agonize from. It's a picture of a devoted athlete, again, competing in the Greek games, stretching and striving every part of his body so he could do his very best to win. 
This is the idea that we are, should have in our Christian life, that we are to go and do everything we possibly can to win others for the cause of Christ, to do what God has called us to do. The doctrine of faith, the moral conviction of truth, re relying on Christ's salvation. It has been delivered to the church collectively, and it has been delivered to us personally, that we are to be good stewards to all of mankind to give that message. So we are to strive, we are to do everything we can to go out and give this message. This is the idea that I want us to look at this year. This is what, again, Jude was trying to convey to his readers. Verse number three uh, is the key verse to the entire book of Jude. And as you can see, that is our, our verse for the year to stop and think about. In these first four verses, there are some details that were given that will help us understand the need for this book and different things about it. First of all, we find is the distinction of who is writing. The distinction of who is writing found there again in verse number one. Before we get into the author, we find this epistle is not addressed to a particular person, to a specific church or family or even group of people. It's often referred to as a general epistle or a general audience. Now again, we can look back to how Paul wrote letters. He would address them to very specific people. The book of Romans was addressed to the church of Rome. First and second Corinthians was addressed to the church in Corinth. We can also look at first and second Timothy. It was addressed to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. You could also look at Titus and Philemon as the same. So again, they were very specific for them, but there are things we can learn from them as well. In the, again, in the different categories, we can find James. First and second Peter, first, second, third John, and again, Jude as all general epistles. Now these books were written to focus on faith, to focus on hope and love, and again to encourage the Christian, encourage the believer as they went through their daily life. Again, we stop and think about how they were to go about as they were dispersed, uh, again, uh, because of persecution, being kicked out of Jerusalem and going out to the four corners of the earth, so to speak. So these writers were writing to try to encourage them to, to hey, uh, don't quit on your faith. Hey, keep going for God and, and keep serving Him. Do what you're supposed to do. But also remember there's people out there that are trying to deceive you. And this is the whole point of the book of Jude is because of those that were out there trying to deceive people and go in the wrong direction. Now again, as we stop and think, we may not have a book addressed to the, the Christians of 2024. But Paul said in Romans chapter number 15 and verse number 4, it says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that through patience and comfort of the Scriptures we might have hope. So we can still go back and look and read the Word of God and draw from it what we need today because that's what God has provided for us. And I'm certainly thankful that we can look at that and study it and learn from it. But now that we know a little bit more about this book of Jude, let's dig in and see who wrote it. Now, according to verse number one, again, we find the author identifies who it is. We find the name and the greeting given by Jude. Well, who in the world is Jude? I mean, we can look through the Bible and then question and wonder, who is Jude and where is he from and, and on and on. Well, first he mentions that he is a servant of Jesus Christ. How significant is it that we identify ourselves as a servant just as Jude has done here? We are to be a servant of the Lord Jesus. We are to serve and to do exactly what he calls us to do. Jude identifies himself basically as a bond slave. Hey, I'm going to do anything and everything God tells me to do. 
as a pastor, that is my role. I am to be a servant of the church. I am to serve the flock of God. But that's also each one of our responsibilities. You know, there's a lot of people that will look at the pastor and think, well, uh, they're better than everyone else. They're higher up and, and this, that, and the other. But I'm no different than anyone in this room. I've got a little bit different of a calling, yes. But I'm still to serve just like you are to serve. And this is important that we understand we are to work together. We are a family unit. We are to, to strive together as we've looked at in years gone by. Strive together and focus on what God has called us to do. Each one of us are to contend for the faith. This is not just for the pastor to do. This is not just for the Sunday school teachers to do. This is not just for the deacons to do. This is for every one of us. We are all to contend for the faith. Again, each believer understands that we have that mentality of to serve God. We have been placed in this body of believers because that's what God desires. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 18, your memory verse this week, but it, now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased Him. If you are here this morning as a member of Victory Baptist Church and you have truly prayed about it before joining, you understand that God has brought you here and placed you here for a reason. Now, because we're part of this body, we all need to be busy doing what God has called us to do. We all have a job. We've got a responsibility because God has placed us here as it has pleased Him. As we serve, as we should, then we need to understand He has given us talents. He's given us abilities that we are to use inside this body to help one another, to encourage one another, and to see this church continue to grow. We also find that Jude identifies a sibling in this first portion of Scripture. Um, he identifies his brother James. Now, if you would go back and you would look and throughout the Word of God, you would find there's a variety of names, uh, different people named James. So how is it that we're to look and understand who it is that he's addressing? Many believe that this is James, the brother of the Lord. Matter of fact, go back and look with me in Mark chapter 6 in verse number 3. Mark chapter 6, verse number 3. Mark chapter 6, verse number 3, the Bible says, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, of Joseph, and of Judah, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Again, we read here that, that Jesus, uh, again, his siblings was identified, James being probably the more popular of his siblings. But we find also the name Judah. Judah mentioned in this verse is another name for Judas or Jude. So oftentimes when we read scripture, we find that names mean or can be identified in other areas. Uh, versus Old Testament versus New Testament. Elias or Elijah, again, oftentimes are, are different, written, uh, written out different ways, things like that. But again, this name Judah or Jude is what we would find the brother of the Lord as well. But in Mark chapter number 6, in verse number 3, that we read how his siblings were offended at him. Many of them did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after his resurrection. And again, this may be the reason that Jude here does not identify himself as being the brother of the Lord, but the brother of James. Again, he didn't recognize him as being the Messiah when he was on this earth. Again, he was offended 
uh, at him, as that verse says. Again, Jude recognizes his calling as a servant. He identifies his sibling. And then we find that he addresses this book to those who are sanctified. Yes, the saved. This letter was written to those of us who had accepted the Lord Jesus as their Savior, uh, as many of us in this room could identify as well. As I mentioned before, this is a general epistle. So we would apply it to us today as well. Those of us who are called Christians, those who are here to preserve uh, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But secondly, we see Jude continues his greeting with a devotion to the reader. So number two this morning, the devotion to uh, the reader. Look at verse number two again with me. It says, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Now, just like any other writer in the Bible, oftentimes they would deliver a greeting of peace and love to show that they were not against God, that they were followers of the Lord Jesus. And uh, unfortunately, there were some that would say that and then go off and, and use that against other people to try to lure people in and, and this, that, and the other. But what we find here again, Jude, is using a little bit different of an address. He's using a little bit different of a, a formal greeting. Now, oftentimes in this time frame, people would give that formal greeting. Today, we don't really have a, a, a real formal type greeting that we give one another. Hey, what's up? How you doing? We shook hands today. That would probably be... Um, the most formal greeting that we give to many people. But we can go back and see how Paul told the, uh, many of the churchgoers to greet one another with a holy kiss. I've tried that, but Greg keeps walking away. I don't understand. Again, it's just a personal greeting to understand how close you are with one another, a part of the family. Now, oftentimes, uh, you would hug your, your, your family members. You would love them in that type of way. And that's what Paul was trying to say there, to greet one another with a holy kiss, as, as far as being a family, to, to welcome them in, to be that intimate and personal. But when we read about others, uh, about the authors of the New Testament, they would also often give a greeting of peace and grace. But what do we find here in Jude? It's a little bit different. He starts off with mercy. What is mercy? What does mercy entail? No matter who you are or what you've done, we all need mercy. It's because God's mercy that he overlooks what we deserve, the things we've done wrong, and gives us so much more, so much better things because he has given us mercy. Stop and think, I'm a poor, wretched sinner who continually breaks God's law. That's me. But because of God's mercy, I don't have to worry about paying for that. He's taking care of it. And we stop and think about that. We know what we've done. We know the sins we've committed. But yet God still demonstrates and gives us mercy. His mercy, His favor, demonstrated to all of mankind, provided a way to be forgiven of all of our transgressions. Aren't you thankful for that? It's not just certain ones. It's not just this one, this little bitty white lie, but it's all of them that God has forgiven us of all these great things. Jude understood that no one, or excuse me, not everyone that was reading this epistle was saved. This is why he was given this idea of mercy uh, again, he wanted them to, to understand what God had done for them and the mercy that they would be able to receive. Second, he asked for peace. How can we have peace? We know as believers, the only perfect peace we have comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Again, Philippians chapter 4, verse number 7 tells us, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Salvation offers us peace with God, and it comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. But we also need to realize that our continued peace comes through our daily fellowship with God. Now, my wife and I, we have a close relationship. You know why? Because we talk. Maybe not as much as we should, but we talk. Uh, she knows my likes and my dislikes. I know hers sometimes. Depends on the day. Um, uh, <laughs> but there are some things that we try to communicate back and forth. Why? Because we love each other. We want to know more about each other. And you know, it's the same way with our Heavenly Father. There's a two-way communication that we've got to keep flowing and using. We take time to pray to God, to tell Him our needs, to tell Him our wants. Again, to be able to communicate this way. But He has given us also His Word that we are to take time to look at, to read, to study, so we can know more about Him. And I'm afraid too many believers today want to do this. They want to pray, Lord, I've got this need, Lord, I want that, and Lord, uh, this and that and the other. And He says, I've given you my Word. But you're not answering me the way I want. Hey, I want an email. Send me a text so I can know clearly what it is that I'm to do. But God doesn't work that way. He said, I've given you my perfect word. Are you taking time to read it? Are you trying to understand it? Or are you just saying, la, 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 check the box, I'm done. You know, we could do that very easily with the book of Jude. Jude is not an easy book to look at. It's not an easy book to study. You won't find a whole lot of commentaries on it or anything else. You've got to take time to study it. Holy Spirit, teach me what I need to know. Holy Spirit, give me the understanding that you have promised to provide. Again, we've got to have that two-way communication between us and God. But thirdly, Jude offers love. Why did Jude offer this in this greeting? Love is something that the Lord demonstrated as he went to the cross. As we all know, Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because of his love being shown to those who despised him, those that rejected him, we should do the same thing to others. Oh, I just don't like that person. You don't know what they've done. Oh, you see that person over there? See, they, said, they said that about me. Think about what the law said about Christ. His own people, the Jewish nation. Yet he loved them enough to die for them. We've been given that same example. We are to follow and do the same thing, to love those who may not know what love is. Stop and think about the world today and the way a lot of people don't understand love because it's never been demonstrated to them. They've never been shown affection, so they don't know how to give it back. They don't know how to love one another because they've never received it themselves. Jude goes on to ask each one of these blessings to be multiplied. Hey, I want to give you just a, not just a little bit of love, but I want it multiplied in your life. I want the mercy multiplied. I want the peace multiplied. What a prayer to stop and think of those that read this account. Now again, we stop and think about this general epistle would have been sent to a church. That church would have read it, maybe memorized somebody. Oh, this is great, great. Uh, we, we, we don't have time to copy it. Roll the scroll up and send it to the next church. Another church would take it and they would read it. Oh, this is great stuff. They would send it to another church. It's not like they could email it. They couldn't text it. They couldn't even have a photocopy for themselves. They would take time to try to memorize it as much as they could. And they would send it on to the next church. 
hey, that church needs it as well. Hey, those folks down the street, they need it as well. And the church across the way, and uh, let's spread this out. Let's share this love that we've been shown. But because God has blessed us so much, because God has given us so much, we need to learn to defend the faith. Number three this morning is the defense of the faith. And that's what we find there in verse number three. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful, needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Jude addresses them as beloved. There in verse number three. This is something that Jews and Gentiles alike need to grasp a hold of. We need to understand to be beloved, to love one another, to, to, to know that others are out there hurting and we are to give them exactly what they need. It is a common salvation. Aren't you thankful for that? I'm glad that God didn't give salvation to, to the Jewish people in a certain way and the Gentiles a different way or this great race of people or those from this country and, and on and on. But it's all a common salvation. It's something that all of us can recognize and understand. The same way I got saved is the same way you get saved. The same way we get saved is the same ones over in Europe get saved. Those in Africa get saved. Those in Asia get saved. It's all the same common salvation. Paul wrote it this way in Ephesians chapter 4. There's one body and one spirit. Even you're called into one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. There's one God. And I'm so thankful that that's all I have to worry about. I don't have to think about, well, is this God who i got to pray to for that and this one for that? No, I pray to one. And I can go directly to his throne. There's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, I can go through him to God the Father. I don't have to worry about getting secondhand information. The kids the other day, yesterday, were playing a little game where, you know, you played the telephone game where you'd say something and they would pass it along. And I didn't get to hear what they were saying. Could you imagine 14 kids? I couldn't hear anything. Um, but they were passing on something, and I, and I don't know what all was said or how it was said. But uh, can you imagine trying to do that with God? Well, I've got to pray to this saint or, or that person and pray to this guy, and hopefully he gets it right to God. No, I go directly to God myself. Lord, I've got a problem. I've got a request. I've got a praise. And I can go directly to him, and I'm certainly thankful for that. But as the world goes grows colder and colder to the things of God. We need to believe and we need to make sure we make it a point to stand for what the Bible teaches us. This is what Jude said here, to earnestly contend. The word earnestly means to warmly, zealously, and eagerly contend. Jude didn't just flippantly say, stick with what you've been taught and go on about your business. He wanted to encourage and exhort the believers as he was addressing them lovingly and teaching them the things of God. Christians today need to do the same thing. We can't grudgingly or angrily teach others how to get saved and what the Bible says. Hey, here's the Bible. Read it and do what it says and don't ask any questions. You know, there's, there was a, a time frame, honestly, in, in a lot of Christianity where that went on. Where it was just like, here it is, shut up and take it. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that have left the church because of that generation, because of the way they taught. But we need to make sure that we're teaching them the right way. Let people ask questions. 
Hey, if you don't know the answer, look it up. And if you can't find the answer, go to somebody that does. We've got to learn it as well. We've got to teach that to the next generation and to the next generation and to the next generation. But having the right attitude, we need to truly contend. I gave you the definition earlier. We are to strive to do our best and work as hard as we can to share God's message of salvation. This is not easy for some people. Just talking to someone else can be difficult for some people nowadays, it seems. But again, sharing God's message to share the plan of salvation, some people have a hard time with because we're afraid to get something wrong. We're afraid we won't say it right and, and this, that, and the other. This is why, again, we are to study it. Take time to learn it. If you don't know, study your Bible. We can tell them the stats about uh, every football team that's playing right now and this, that, and the other, and we're not afraid to give a wrong stat when it comes to that. But are we not taking time to look and to draw out the things that we need from the Word of God to share that message with someone else? Is it not that valuable to us? Is it not that important to us? Scripture reminds us over and over again that we are to be a witness. We are to share the faith in God with others so they can enjoy the benefits of God. Think about what you enjoy today as a saved believer. We are to share that message with others so they can enjoy it as well. Looking at this banner, we find the storm raging, the winds and the waves thrashing. But there's one focal point that we're to look at. And that's the cross. It reminds me of Peter when he stepped out of the boat and began to walk on the water to Jesus. What happened? He saw the sea, took his eyes off the Savior, and he began to sink. Three-point message in case anybody needs one. Uh, but that's exactly what we're to do. When we're in the storms of life, make sure we're contending. But look to the cross. Look to the Savior. Keep focused on Him and what He's done. And that's what we need to share with people. That's the message that people need to see. And we need to make sure we continue to contend to do. Again, we can witness, or we can't witness in our own strength. We can't tell others about Christ in our own power and our own ability. This is why we are to look to the cross, to ask God to guide and help us as we go through our day and through our time of witness. Jews specifically says, earnestly contend for the faith. This is not contending for the best dessert at the church potluck. This is not to contend for being the best musician in the church orchestra. Not that we have one. We need to have one. If you can play an instrument, we'd like... Anyway, uh, it's not to contend to be uh, the, the one that has the longest attendance record. We are to contend for the faith of the gospel. Churches throughout the years have gotten away from preaching and teaching the most important topic, the most important message there is, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without salvation, we have no fellowship with God. Without knowing the Lord is our Savior, we don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We don't have a home in heaven. We can't understand or underestimate, excuse me, the Word of God and the importance that it is because it gives us a future hope. This is the message of salvation. And this is why it's so important. But we have to ask ourselves, are we sharing that message? It's not like there's not a need. If we walk by somebody every day 
that needs to hear the message. You see somebody in the store that needs the message. You have a coworker that needs the message. God has left us here to deliver that message. So you ever wonder and question what your job is and why you're on this earth? Here it is. Share the message. Contend for the faith. Make sure we're doing what God has called us to do. Again, that reminder is given to us every time we come in here, going into all the world and preach the gospel. That's not just for me. That's for everybody. We are to all spread that message, all to be preachers of righteousness. But through the years, Satan has done his best to distract us, to keep us from sharing that message with others. And that's what we find in our final point this morning is the deceivers unaware. The deceivers unaware found in verse number 4. And there were certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. During the lifetime of Jude, the Jews had changed much of the way they believed in so many different ways, in ceremonies, in religious days. They established their own beliefs, even to the point of changing the law to meet their own desires. This happened then, and it continues to happen today. There are many churches that have deceivers inside of that church that are trying to weave in and do their own ideas and their own things instead of what God wants them to do. As Jude said, they crept in. Many churches have rest solely on their religious acts, their good deeds, their giving of money, their repetitious prayers, and they have no idea who the real God is. This is why I can't emphasize enough that we are to stay in the Bible. We're to read it for ourselves, study it, to understand it for ourselves. Again, asking the Holy Spirit to teach us, to give us the understanding. You know, I try my best to protect the pulpit and who comes up here and what they say and what they teach. Understanding that it is the Word of God. But there are times when we've got to take what's been said and apply it for ourselves to, to really allow it to sink into our hearts and guide us as we go throughout out the day. Again, the more we learn, the less we are likely pulled away by those deceivers, by those false doctrines that are out there. These deceivers are turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, as this verse says. The word lasciviousness means irregular indulgences. People have turned the church into meeting their own wants and their own desires instead of what God wants. They look uh, for a way to demonstrate their talents. These people sing or play instruments looking for man's approval. Some use the church as a way to promote their business and to better their economic state. Many today view the church as simply a social club, a place that they get to meet and interact with other people. And sadly, there are even some that try to run the church to help benefit themselves in financial gain. The Bible calls them a hireling, by the way. But these are just a few irregular indulgences that we find in churches around America today. When these types of indulgences happen... The one thing it does is it denies the Lord his proper place of prominence. Again, as it mentions there, it denies the Lord. So stop and think for a moment and examine our own lives. 
It's easy to point fingers at this person and that person. Well, look what they're doing and look what, how they're doing this and so on and so forth. What about self? What are we doing to deny the Lord in our own life? And we may think, well, I would never do that. But yet we do it all the time. I've said before, we can easily justify the things we do, what we say and how we do it, never allowing or never stopping to think that it was wrong. How often do we allow the Holy Spirit to examine, examine our own heart and life, our own ways of doing things? David said in Psalms 139, 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in, in me and lead me into the way everlasting. How often do we stop and pray that prayer? How often do we stop and say, Holy Spirit, show me what I've done wrong. Help me to do what's right. Help me to follow your will. Ask yourself this morning, am I contending for the faith? If not, what is it that needs to change in my life this year? That I can stand for what is right and truly contend for the faith. Let's close our eyes this morning, bow our heads for a time of invitation.